peace of Christ be with you. If you haven't noticed over the past weeks, Patty does a, a composer for the week, and that makes up the prelude and the postlude. So you, you are lucky enough to show up for Bach week. If you decide to nod off during the sermon, make sure someone next to you rouses you for the postlude. You will not want to miss it. And I know I should wait until joys and concerns, but Katie Sayers is here. How exciting is that? What a nice surprise. Uh, each week we're welcoming different people back or people back in town. We have a lot of folks here today for the baptism. It's so exciting to see you, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's slow down, take a couple of deep breaths, allow ourselves to be fully present here opening ourselves to the presence of the living spirit in our midst. On this, the Lord's day, let us worship in beloved community. Amen. I invite you to rise in body or spirit for our call to worship. God invites us not only to heights, but to depths. God invites us to confront what we sometimes don't even know needs facing. God invites us to confront death that we might rise to eternal life. Let's join together now in hymn number 416.
You may be seated. I want to welcome you here to worship at Westminster. It is good to be with you today. It looks like we have several people visiting with us today. A special welcome to all of you. It certainly is good to be worshiping together this morning. I want to invite you after worship into our Finley Hall. We have some coffee and tea, some snacks in there. Um, and most importantly, that after worship time is a wonderful time to visit with each other, to get to know one, one another a little better. Maybe seek out someone you haven't met yet and introduce yourselves. Um, just a quick note about our masking regulations. They have changed starting today. Um, you'll see in our bulletin as well. Um, we're following the guidance of the county and the state um, and masks are now recommended but not required for those who are vaccinated so we encourage you to do what is most comfortable for you if it's most comfortable comfortable to wear a mask do that if it's most comfortable to not that is okay as well we do have a couple of pews on this side in the back set aside um, if you want to wear a mask and you're most comfortable sitting with others who are also wearing a mask um, that would be a good place to be um, with that let us join together in our community prayer. So let us pray. Leading God, you have called us into the darkness of this season, not to expose us to trauma and shadow. Rather, you have led us here that we might be gifted with encounter. We might be given the chance to see things about us of which we were previously unaware. On that sacred ground, we can find healing, transformation, and find new ways forward. Meet us here. Take from us all fear and self-doubt. Emerge with us into new life. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, be assured that God does hear our prayers. God hears us. God loves us. God forgives us. This is the good news. Thanks be to God. Amen. So now having prayed together in one voice, now is our chance to share with each other the joys, the concerns, the prayers that are on our hearts and minds today. So if you have something to share with us, I invite you to just raise your hand and let us know. Kyle. Kyle's sharing that his birthday is next month. Quite a joy. Absolutely. We'll have to have you in our birthday blessing when the right month comes. Turning 40, oh, it's a big one. One with a zero. <laughs> Gotta love the birthdays with a zero in them. Yeah, Gil.
Stephanie. You have a great name. Wow, you guys have a whole row of folks with you. That's awesome. Yeah, welcome. It's good to have you with us today. Other joys or concerns to share? Yeah. Welcome. And it is one of our goals here to be a welcoming and inviting place to be in so that you have experienced that already it means a lot to us too. So welcome. Yeah, Claire. Yes. Prayer of concern for the people of Ukraine. Bruce. So Bruce offers prayers for his neighbor and his partner in poker playing, um, who is having some serious health concerns in the ICU, not sure if she's gonna make it. So prayers for her and her family and friends, yeah. Hopefully you noticed when you walked in this beautiful bouquet of flowers behind me. Um, that um, was for the Peter Wirtz's memorial service uh, yesterday. Many of you were here. Wonderful time to remember Peter, both with tears and with lots of laughter. Um, if you weren't able to be at the service, uh, we do have it posted on our YouTube channel. So you're welcome to go and watch that service anytime on, on our YouTube channel. Let's take just a few moments of quiet, and then we'll share in the Lord's Prayer together. So let us be in prayer. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people, and they're offered in the name of the one who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father.
So I'd like to invite forward several people today. First, our children can join me here at the front. And then August and his family, I invite you forward. And then Elder David Elliott, I invite you forward. Got lots of people coming. Y'all can just sort of stand right there. Why don't we sit here? Uh, because fun day. We get to baptize August today. That's August over there with his mom and dad. But before we do that, I have to tell you just a little bit about August's dad. His name's Michael. And I was trying to figure out when I first met Michael this week. And we think that Michael was 11 years old <laughs> when I met Michael, about 19 years ago. So Michael grew up in this church. He w went to our middle school youth groups and our high school youth groups. His sister Caroline's right there. I've known her since she was even younger than 11. Uh, and, uh, and then he you know, went off to do his, do his thing ha in life. And now he's back with his partner Holly and his son August, which makes me think. And then David, you were telling me, our elder David up there, you've known Michael since he was like five, right? Yeah. A long time. A long time. So just, a, just imagine one of those people out there in 20, 30 years might be the elder <laughs> representing your baptism when you come with your child to be baptized. The church family is pretty amazing. So with that, we're going to baptize August. And you have a part coming up, and Rob's going to help you with that part. Um, so I think you can see if you're sitting here. If you can't see, um, you're welcome to move closer. And speaking of seeing, I think they have some family members who are watching online. So I'm going to make sure. I'm going to just turn our camera a little bit. Oh, there we go. Now we can see what's going on. <laughs> All right. So baptism, baptism is the sacrament through which we are united to Jesus Christ and given part in Christ's ministry of reconciliation. Baptism is the visible sign of an invisible event showing the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on God's beloved children. In baptism, God works in us the power of forgiveness the renewal of the spirit, and the knowledge of the call to be God's people always. So Holly and Michael, do you profess your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you renounce evil, affirming your reliance on God's grace? Do you declare your intention to participate actively and responsibly in the worship and mission of the church? And do you declare your intention to provide for the Christian nurture of August? If so, please say, we do. We do. All right. Please join me in the Congregational Covenant printed in your bulletin. With joy and thanksgiving, we welcome August into Christ's church. Because we are all one in Christ, we promise to love, encourage, and support him and his family we promise to share the good news of the gospel with him and help him to study, know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. Oh, we already have some good readers here who did this, but you all have a special piece, and you know why? You are the closest in age to August in this congregation. Now, August's family, I think, splits their time between a couple of places, but when they're here, August is going to be with you eventually. 
more than perhaps with some of us. So you have a special role to play. So we're going to make a promise as the young people in the church to August. So I want you to repeat after me, and I want you to say it with some feeling, okay? So they can hear you, all right? So let's begin. August, you are our new brother in Jesus Christ. We promise to help you to know God's love and grow up to be caring and helpful. Good. Let us sing together. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, pour out your spirit on this water that it might become living water. In Jesus' name, amen. So do you think he'll let me hold it? Yeah? Yeah? You're okay. Yeah? We won't go too far away from mom and dad. We're just going to scooch real slowly over here. So what is, what is August's full name? August Gibson Theorem. August Gibson Theorem. I baptize you in the name, oh, it's cold of the Father. I baptize you in the name of the Son. I baptize you in the name of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, God, our creator, Jesus Christ, our redeemer, the Holy Spirit, our sustainer. The Spirit of God be with you, August. Disciple of Christ, <laughs> child of God. I'm going to give you back to mom, who won't put cold water on your head. And I'm going to invite you to come with me. we gotta, we got to introduce y'all. I want, first, I want you all to be able to see August up close, your new brother in Jesus Christ. There you go. Hey. <laughs> now let's, let's come this way. Let's come this way. No, no, you, there's too many people. I need to be more specific. Now I wanna uh, introduce, Aaron may have already met August. I don't know, yes. <laughs> your new brother in Christ. And this is Susan and Lewis. This is August, your new brother in Christ. Who's over here? Oh, we've got Bonnie and Mildy over here. Your new brother in Christ. He's so calm when he's not with me. <laughs> all right, let's come back to the front. Look at all of these new siblings in Christ, August. All here to help you grow and learn about God and God's love. Please join 
in the oldest baptismal creed we have. The Apostles' Creed is found on page 35 in the front of your hymnal. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So a couple things for you guys. First is baptismal certificate, and then a baptismal candle. And what we suggest is that every year on this day, you light it as a family to remember this special day. There you go. Let us pray. Loving God, we give thanks for August and the commitments his family and this church congregation have made this morning. Bless him, we pray, that he may have strength for life's journey, courage in time of suffering, the joy of faith, the freedom of love, the hope of new life through Jesus Christ who makes us one. Amen. Amen. All right, now you and I, now I'm talking to you all. We're going to go to Sunday school, all right? Go now in peace. I guess just saying hi to his family. <laughs> our lector isn't here today, and uh, our, our pinch hitter lector just walked out. So <laughs> let me find the, uh, the reading here. Thank goodness it's in Genesis. I know where that one is. Nothing brings a smile like a baptism. I mean, with all that's going on, oh, it's just like a breath of fresh air. Have a sign of hope, of joy, and of promise. I'm almost there. Ma'am, what was your name, you who shared about being here for the first time? Deborah. I'm Rob, and it's, it's nice to have you here. The first reading comes from the book of Genesis, the ninth chapter, verses 18 to 27. Oh, the page number was right there. I could have gotten in there faster. <laughs> Should have used your Bible. Please listen for what the Spirit may be saying to us today in these readings and in their proclaiming. The sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan, 
These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was peopled. Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine... And knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed by the Lord, my God, be Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. May God make space for Japheth, and let him live in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. We'll get to it, Joan. And the second reading, which I do have, comes from the book of Matthew. It's the 12th chapter, verses 38 to 42. Again, continue to open yourself to what the Spirit might be saying to us today. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But no sign shall be given to you, shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was for three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah. And see something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And see something greater than Solomon is here. This is holy wisdom. Holy word. Thanks be to God. Get back over to my side here disoriented. Tom Brenneman did not know that his microphone was on, which is the horror of anybody who wears a microphone regularly, I promise you. He was broadcasting a professional baseball game between the Cincinnati Reds and the Kansas City Royals a year or two ago. And when he thought he was off mic, he used an anti-gay epithet to refer to what it turned out later to be San Francisco. But his word went out to everyone who was listening. Now, not surprisingly, he came back on pretty quickly, was clearly embarrassed, and offered an apology, which he awkwardly interrupted to call a home run, by the way, which sort of seemed a little bit out of touch with what was maybe most important at the moment. Apologies to Reds fans and Royals fans. And his apology is an invitation for us to do an important exploration. So we're not very good 
at apologies these days, in part because the stakes are so high from, for making a mistake or for showing where you're off that we kind of hedge at every turn. So Brenneman did what so many do. He, he did that thing where you say, if I offended you, right, which sort of shifts the, uh, the focus to the other party, not to the person who said the thing or did the thing. And then he followed it up by saying, I'm a man of faith, and that's not me. And my friends would tell you that that's not me. That's not me and has never been me. Which is an interesting thing because just a second ago, it was you. <laughs> I mean, kind of by definition. We, we make these sort of moves, uh, many of us, in a moment such as that. So someone says something racist, and then they say, but I'm not a racist. In fact, I don't what? Have a racist bone in my body. <laughs> say something homophobic, and then you say, but I have lots of... Right? We know the script. Right? Now, on the one hand, I think we can understand on at least some level why people react that way. Who wants to be judged by their worst moment? Who hasn't said something untoward at some time that they would argue doesn't represent the best of their character? Okay, we, I think we can understand that on some level. But there's a problem that is worth exploring by distancing oneself from that, by saying, well, that's not me. Well, if that's not you, well, who was it? I mean, in biblical times, they would have been fine with demon possession, but many of us don't go there now. So who was it that inhabited your body that said that? And maybe, okay, that's not me. That's just something I said. Well, then who are you? If you're not your words or your deeds, are you the thoughts in your head, the projected version of you that you get to see? But if we interact with the other you, well, then which you is the real you? And moreover, what's... The most problematic piece is by saying something like, well, that's not me. It's to release ourselves from any obligation to do work around that thing that just happened. Those words or that deed came from somewhere. So when your inhibitions are let down or when you're angry or you're tired or you're just joking around and you think nobody really is listening, the words that come out came from in here. You didn't pluck them out of the sky. And it's the in here that we're going to spend some time exploring. Because otherwise, you can just say, oh, I don't, have to, I don't have to do any investigation because that was actually me. And we can all just move on. And the problem is when we don't unearth things, they can grow and become more and more serious and can take on a life of their own. Let's take an example of biblical proportions. Do you know where the justification for the uh, enslavement of black people in this world came from? Biblically, you just heard it. That passage from Genesis 9. You ever heard of the curse of Ham? You just heard the curse of Ham. What happens? Noah and his sons have survived the flood. They've gotten off the, earth, uh, off the ark. They're sitting around. Noah gets drunk one night. Don't worry, that's not who he is. And he... <laughs> 
And Ham comes and, quote, sees his nakedness. And because of that, Canaan, who is Ham's son, is cursed, and his descendants cursed forevermore to be slaves to Shem's descendants. Now, the curse of Ham didn't get uh, placed upon black people in the world until uh, colonial Europe went into Africa. And they recognized that the descendants of Ethiopia and Egypt were supposedly the descendants of Canaan, and therefore could be enslaved. And so those dark-skinned people get translated to other dark-skinned people, and there we have it, biblical justification for slavery. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute. How did, this, how did all this get started? Ham saw his nakedness? Eh? So what? What's going on there? Well, I read a 10-page scholarly article on just that line. So there's lots of speculation. But what you need to know is the Bible is full of euphemism and metaphor and allegory and so many other tools of storytelling. But often there's a lot going on that if you don't know what you're reading, you miss. So, for example, when they're talking about feet in the Bible, let me just tell you they're not always talking about feet. Okay? When, when a woman lays at a man's feet, not laying at his feet. Okay? I'll let you do the rest there. So... There are many theories, but there are a few prevailing ones. One is that Ham had sex with his father. And that was taboo in the culture and ours. The second, quite different from the first, is Ham castrated his father. And the third is not as graphic or as dramatic as either of those two, but literally he just saw his father uncovered, but that carried a taboo of its own because seeing in the ancient world also meant owning or possessing or having some control over, and it was laden with shame and power and all this, and so he had to be cursed as a result to that. Okay. There's also probably an element where ancient people draw on mythic stories to explain why things are the way they are, why some people are slaves, why some aren't, why, why some nations are mortal enemies with other nations, right? Think of, uh, from your high school Latin class, the founding of Rome and the story of uh, uh, Remus and Romulus, right? We have these stories that explain how things came to be the way they are. Uh, however that story functioned in the ancient culture, I would hope we could all agree as contemporary Christians that to justify slavery, contemporary slavery, of people with darker skin than mine, on the basis of that story, is ludicrous, right? We can do that. But you've got to follow the thread all the way back to disentangle it and to sever that break in order to do it. If we don't untangle the web of things that are wrong and perverse and unjust, done in the name of the God we worship, then they can persist. This happened uh, with apartheid, which was also justified biblically and theologically. It had to be confronted biblically and theology, theologically, otherwise it couldn't be fully undone. And it certainly wouldn't be convincing to the Christians and the churches that upheld it. And so that's what they did. In fact, those who are in new officer training, our incoming elders and deacons, last week read part of the Belhar Confession. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a, a relatively new addition to our book of confessions, a book this thick of documents that we uphold as sacred in our tradition that says something about who we are and what we believed at least at certain times. 
And what Belhar said, among other things, after going to painstaking lengths to, to do a biblical exp, uh, exposition of the theme, is that you cannot separate people on the basis of, of diversity and then use it to oppress some of them. You cannot do that in the name of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, being disciples of Jesus Christ requires that you confront things like that. That's the church's job. But in order to do that, you have to be willing to go there, to follow the thread back, to figure out where we went off, where we started, where we went wrong, to deconstruct it, and to weave together a newer and truer story. And that's what's being invited of us today and in the Lenten season. You've got to be willing to go to the belly of the beast or the sea monster, as Jesus would put it. Jesus alluding to the Jonah story in this passage you heard me read just moments ago. You know the Jonah story. Jonah's overboard. He gets swallowed up by a... Ah! A fish. It's not a whale. That's your sticker for today. When you go out, yeah, you can tell people, you, there's no whale. It's not a whale. It's a fish. Who knew? Jesus calls it a sea monster. I'll correct him later. So that will not go well. I, on a day of bad apologies. And Jesus, when he's asked for a sign of who he is, he says, the only sign you'll get, you adulteress, that's an interesting word in light of today, generation, is the sign of Jonah which is a storyteller's way of saying when Jesus is crucified and goes into the earth for three days in that Apostles' Creed, we talk about that. In the ground for three days and he'll be raised to new life. That's the sign, okay? Now, you can read that as a, a narrative and it, uh, a key part of the gospel story. Today, I want you to read it spiritually or even mystically because what Jesus embodies in that moment is the path of descent and ascent. He goes to the belly of the beast, the darkest of the darkest places. And I know dark light metaphors are tricky here, problematic. He goes to the ugliest of places, to death. The creed would say to hell itself. Right? The worst of all places. And then he ascends out of that place to new light and new life. And I think what Christ invites us to do when he goes into the wilderness of Lent and into the belly of the earth is he invites us to follow that cruciform pattern too, to go down to the heart of the beast and face it and look at what's ugly and could digest us and spit us out, to go there and be there and come out changed. There's a lot of resistance these days to going there. I think because we're all tired, we're all a little worn down, we've had enough bad news and uncomfortable things in our lives, and we don't have the energy to do it. But Jesus says we must do it. Not because it feels good. That's what's beautiful about these stories. The belly of the beast is not a pretty place to be, just like being crucified and descending into the heart of the earth. Not a good place to be. So we're warned it will be tough. I understand why people don't want to look at certain things about who we are, either as individuals or as a people. No one uh, engages in a lesson about boarding schools in, in not just our country, but uh, others around us, and what they did to indigenous peoples, effectively destroying cultures, sometimes destroying children, sometimes burying them on sight. 
Nobody feels good after a lesson about that. Maybe descendants of those indigenous persons only because as they're re-traumatized, at least their story gets honored and heard. Nobody enjoys a lesson about slavery or sees, if you've seen, you know, postcards that we used to sell in this country of lynchings, photographs. It's not pleasant. I saw a picture this week, and I've seen it before, where it piles during the westward expansion of bison skulls, like two and three people high, just this killing and death and wiping out. Oh, you just feel awful afterwards. How many of you have been to the Holocaust Museum? Right, so many of us. Um, not something you do as a vacation. Really brutal. And there's one scene that I, as I've talked to people, people always recount. It's that moment when I think you cross over a bridge. Anybody remember what's under the bridge? Uh, somebody said it. It's a river of shoes taken from people that ended up in the ovens. You don't leave the Holocaust Museum feeling any piece of good, right? And yet Jesus invites us to go there because we can learn from there. Not just so we don't repeat it as if we're doomed to, though that part of that is true, but so that we understand how we got here and what here is like for people, especially people that may be different from us. We're invited to go there. Jesus goes there, calls us into that place of discomfort so that we can emerge from it into new light, into new life. Let's go from one sport to another. Kyle Korver is a basketball player. Retired, I think. At least he's no longer playing. So I think he's done. Had a good long career. Uh, white basketball player, if that should matter. And he wrote an interesting article, article for the Players' Tribune. And it was reflecting a lot of what it was like to be a white player around and after the aftermath of the George, George Floyd murder. Now, if you don't know it, the National Basketball Association is 70-something percent black. And Corver said, I thought I was pretty enlightened. And then as our, we would have conversations on the team, I realized I wasn't really at all in touch with what it was like to be different than I was. And we had a lot of very painful conversations, a lot of uncomfortable conversations. But I learned something from those conversations. I would share similarly. I'm kind of your poster child, right, for a straight white guy, okay? Uh, and I've been in a lot of situations where I've been made uncomfortable, or I don't know if I was made uncomfortable, but I was uncomfortable because of things that were pointed out. But I will say, almost without exception, those have always been learning moments. Sometimes not in the moment, but often in hindsight, I grew a ton from those moments. And Corver said the same thing. And there's no dramatic moment in his story. That's even better, because we don't need him to be the hero. It's very mundane. It's very ordinary. But he said he learned a few things. And one is that he needed to do his homework. He needed to learn history a little bit better. And two, he was going to commit to listening more, speaking less, listening more, people who didn't look like him. 
And three, he was going to commit to being held accountable and to hello and holding his teammates accountable. That's it. Those were the blessings of going in to the shadow and having an earnest encounter and coming back out of it. What if that broadcaster had instead said this? I'm sorry. What I said was hurtful and it was wrong. I'd like to think I'm not that person, but clearly I am that person, at least to a degree. I am a person of faith, but my faith doesn't let me off the hook. My faith asks me to be better and invites me to do the work to be better. And because I take that seriously, that's what I'm going to do. I'm sorry. You feel the shift? And the culture then should support that kind of openness and say, yes, and we'll hold you accountable and you hold us accountable too. In Lent, we can just go through like this. And sometimes this feels like all we can do, keep our heads above the surface, right? So many of us are treading right now. But Christ invites us to go deep into those places where we have to confront some things that are hard to look at. Christ promises to go with us into that place, and we can go in there with one another, not to beat up on each other or ourselves or anyone, but so that we can grow and so that we can emerge like Christ did on the other side and be raised to new life and new light. Amen.
Gracious God, we give you thanks for the many ways in which we've been richly blessed. And we receive your blessings not with guilt, but with deep gratitude. And we honor the gifts you've been given by being good stewards of them. So, O oh Lord, help us to be a place that uplifts, that connects, that builds up in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So powerful to say you may be seated as if you can't sit if I don't say that thus is liturgy I want to begin our time of uh, announcements with the word of thank you for your your kindness as we all start to emerge from this pandemic at somewhat different speeds you see so many stories of nastiness out in the culture of how this has been handled but uh, for your graciousness with one another and and with us as leaders in this church having had to make decisions that probably weren't always pleasing to everyone at all times. You've been quite kind and understanding, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate you continuing to be that way with one another as we continue this next leg of the journey. It's important. A few things to highlight. On uh, March 20th, which is next Sunday, Liz Hall from MOC, which is the Marin Organizing Committee, is coming to do an informational talk directly following this service. So that may be something that really appeals to you if you care about justice and community organizing or MOC in particular, it's a good time to come and hear a little bit and have a chance to ask some questions. She's also available to come in between the services if somebody wants some one-on-one -on -one time with her and I'm sure she'd make time outside that day if you wanted that as well. See Bethany if you need more information on that. Secondly, on the 20th, also we'll be having an equinox service, a Celtic prayer service. So a prayer of a lot of singing and praying and quiet, not a lot of preaching. Uh, sort of a short, don't be, don't be too excited. Um, <laughs> but uh, a time to be together in a contemplative space and then uh, have a meal together if you want to stay for a meal, or even if you just want to stay and walk the labyrinth. As we honor that seasonal change, we'll explore what that means for us on a spiritual level as well. Because we're trying to do this as a way to build uh, an intimate community, we, we want to cook a meal for people. So we're actually keeping this one uh, somewhat small and intimate, so please reserve a spot. We do have some spots remaining. The link has gone out in the e-news. If you haven't seen it, let me know and I can get it to you. And I want to thank Susan Bertelson while I have the mic for all the logistical work she's done on that, as well as many others who are going to be helping. Finally, we want to gather some information on you. That's a terrible way to start an announcement. <laughs> We're not here to sell you anything. I know everybody wants to gather data, but we want to do a better job of connecting you to the things you care about and the things that you like doing and are good at doing. And so we're trying to make our database a little bit more robust so that when something comes up that would appeal to you in particular, we can run a report and say, oh, I know she would love to do this. Let's make sure she's invited. So there are surveys out there on the Narthex table. We'll have them out for some time. We invite you to take them and just fill them out. It's a way to tell us what you're about and what you'd like to be connected to. And we'll input that information and we'll continue to work toward a more, more robust system and better way of connecting you 
to the kinds of things the church can do that are meaningful for you. So please fill that out. Take one home. Um, again, we'll be doing this for, for some time. If you have today, time today, great. If not, please do it another time. Uh, and with that, I know Ruthie is going to come forward and give you an introduction to the closing hymn. I had to ask her in the first service if I had picked the hymns, because they were a bit challenging. Um, but I, I, that opening one with its rhythm, thank you for being good sports. This last one, I think, is quite powerful, and it's a back and forth between Ruthie and the congregation. So please join in. Ruthie. Your part is relatively simple. It's just that simple phrase at the beginning. You sing it two times at the beginning and two times at the end. And in between, there is this dialogue of the verses between the leader, me, and you, the singing body. And just need to remember, it's two times at the beginning and two times at the end. Patty will play that phrase two times for you to learn it. We rise in body or spirit. Friends, as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.